Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And this is our fifth, no, sixth episode uh, in the podcast journey that we've been taking, uh, which is actually, this is our first recording after it's gone live on uh, YouTube and Spotify and uh, a couple of other places. So, uh... We are particularly excited to to record this episode because now it's not something that is a secret between John and I. It is a it is a public thing. It's out there. <laughs> it's it's out in the ether. I mean, it's a uh, it. We're still mostly talking to ourselves, but uh, we're not totally talking to ourselves now, which changes the dynamic. At least we know someone's listening now. We didn't just send out like a golden disc into space and haven't heard anything back yet. Like we're it's out there. Well, I mean, there are like two people listening, but you know, I hope y'all out there are having a good time listening to it. Um, just as a quick recap for our two very dedicated viewers, uh, we with this being our sixth episode, uh, we're continuing on with our series centered around. Getting new players into the hobby and helping to to guide them through this arduous journey of getting into tabletop wargaming, uh, specifically in the big games of Warhammer 40,000 and Age of Sigmar. Uh, we started very generally with talking about those two settings and kind of the the pros and cons of both of them if you were on the fence on what you wanted to play or if you wanted to play... Both of them at the same time, like we do, because we like to throw money away. Um, we then moved on to our second episode, where John and I started to unpack the game in terms of the rules, at least uh, vaguely so, about the different types of armies that exist and what that means for you, and give some recommendations of what type of armies different types of people might like. Uh, and then we zoomed in a little more, and we took those army types, and we broke down specific examples of each. And starting with Age of Sigmar uh, in episode three, and then moved on to episode four, where we broke down uh, 40k armies by each of those categories. Moved on into five, with the assumption that people have been, you know, they've picked an army of some sort, and talking about how to get into the lore of these, like, three million books. And now... John, we've arrived at what, at least for me, when I started hobbying, was the most difficult hurdle to jump. Oh boy. Today, we are going to talk about how to start actually doing the physical hobbying for a new player. And, man, this is a big one to unpack. Yeah, it's it's going to be a big deal. It, it's something that it's part of the hobby is continually learning how to do hobby board better. Um, it doesn't just end with, I know how to do the thing now and never have to learn any new skill. Like I I've been doing this for over 10 years and I'm still learning new things and what to do and still improving. And it's very rewarding. It's, it's probably the most rewarding part of the hobby uh, for a lot of folks. Yeah. And I mean, it's so, it's such an interesting part of the hobby that for some people, this is all they do. Like they stop here. They don't move on to playing the tabletop games themselves. They just want to read the books and get the models and paint them and build them and 
convert them and uh and put their dude up on a shelf and be like ah, i made that guy that's my guy he's my dude yeah like, and uh hey, hey dude that's totally cool uh but for i could at least speak for myself this was the daunting part so we wanted to make this episode in case you were like me and now you have picked your force and you're you've listened to some lore videos about them maybe you've got some audiobooks on deck bought and you're ready to listen to them as you actually pull these little miniatures that you've purchased out of the box and then realize, oh God, I have to do something with these. Uh, Cause that's pretty much what's happened to me. So this is going to be your, it, I don't, I definitely not a step-by-step guide, but a general guide on tips and tricks to help you get through this section, including what you're going to need at each pro at each point, what, some stuff you should do to help, make it a little easier and some stuff you should not do because <laughs> it'll it'll make it hard um yeah yeah it can it's a very daunting thing there's not a lot of resources about truly like not step by step but truly baseline beginner stuff there's lots of like videos and stuff about how to do things but it, it's not really laid out of okay what's the bare minimum of what you need that's not going to cost an arm and leg what's the like steps that you should really worry about like you're gonna see pictures and videos of these immaculately painted models with wonderful looking bases and whole armies playing against each other and you're gonna go i can't do that eventually you will you're not gonna start off doing that and here's our little step of like how to get started down that path yeah and i think it's you know we've all heard that old adage that you have to walk before you run and there's a lot, but there's like a lot of videos on YouTube on how to not just sprint, but how to get in an Ashton Martin and fly down the road at over 150 miles an hour. Um, but we, not a whole lot on how to actually start moving. So I guess from here, we'll start with sequentially, what's the first thing you're going to have to do when you've bought your models, you pulled them out of the box. And you're looking to actually go about getting them all on the table. And that's building them. And this is a this is a section that could get a little in the weeds. So we're going to start with the basics. What do you need to build these models? And I'm going to be honest, you don't need a whole lot. Uh, I think some people go way overboard on this. But you could get by without having to spend a whole lot of cash. Yeah, you can get in in pretty cheap, like less than fifteen dollars for everything you'll need, and that's including like some extra bits that aren't like super required. Because um, at the end of the day, all you need for building are clippers, a file of some sort to get rid of some of the the rough edges that when you clip stuff off of, and super glue. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's all. Um, and you don't even need necessarily super expensive versions of those things. Uh, so, for example, uh, you might have gone to, you know, Games Workshop or your friendly local hobby store to, to buy your models. And at the store, you're probably going to see Citadel branded clippers, which are like these really nice and fancy looking Games Workshop clippers that I think are over $20 here in the States. And let me just go ahead and tell you, you, you don't have to spend that much on your clippers. You can walk out to your the hardware store, and for us, the cheapest one around is Harbor Freight. It's kind of notorious here in the States for uh, just how cheap it is. Uh, and you could walk in there and walk out with 
what I what's called flush cut clippers for less than five dollars. And they will work just as well as the Citadel ones, I promise you. They will clip your plastic off the sprues just as easily. And you'll probably want to save that money and spend it elsewhere. Like on more models. Mm-hmm. Or, or a second army or a third army. Oh, God, John, you're skipping ahead. <laughs> Too many episodes. We've got like five episodes between here and there. Spoiler alert. Uh, um... But yeah, you don't have to spend a whole bunch on that. And then, same thing for uh, super glue. Uh, what you want is super glue. You don't want, like, expanding gorilla glue like I bought when I first started. Uh, you you want some super glue. Uh, for my personal preference, I don't use the Citadel version. I use uh, Loctite Ultra Gel Control, which you could find at, like, any hardware store or department store. Um, or, like, Walmart. Yep, you can but, find it at Walmart, uh, Target, at Lowe's, <clears throat> Home Depot, uh, pretty much anywhere. And again, it's not too expensive. I get mine for under five bucks a bottle, and I generally just walk out with like six bottles of it at a time. And uh, that way I have a stockpile of it at home. And then, like John mentioned, you're going to want some files. Now, John, why do you want files? So, uh, normally when they press the molds for the, the plastic, there's going to be little bits that don't really uh, line up right. And you're going to want to, like, shave those down and, like, like either with an X-Acto knife or a file. Um, preferably both, if you can spring for that. And then whenever you clip a bit off, there's probably going to be a little piece that's kind of jagged that you're going to want to file down so that it's more flush. So that when you prime it with paint, it won't be visible. It won't, it won't be apparent that you just clip this off of, like, a plastic sprue. Yeah. And that really helps keep it quality without spending a ton of time or a bunch of extra money. Like, it, it's yeah. a lot easier to handle. And just like before, um, I got myself a little file kit that has a uh, files shaped in a couple of different ways. Some that are, like, flat, some that are rounded and at different uh, diameters. And I got that for about ten bucks. And I've been using it for a couple of years. Never going to need to replace it. Didn't take a whole lot of money to jump into this. So, at least it's not cost prohibitive to, to start putting everything together. It's something you really just kind of jump in and do. Um, once you have those things on hand and sitting in front of you, you're ready to open up a, a model kit and follow the instructions and just start clipping them out piece by piece. Uh, how the instruction booklet tells you and putting them together with your glue you don't have to use a ton of that glue so it's going to last you a little bit and kind of build it all up together and i think you'll pretty most people can pretty quickly put together their first model kit you know it's one of those things that's a little odd at first but trust in the instructions uh, most of the time and uh you'll eventually get to have a model fully built however games workshop often will not use every single little bit that is on the sprue. There's going to be uh, a lot of points in your model building process with the instructions where you're going to get to make some decisions on what little gigaw or doodads you want to put on your model or that you don't want to put on your model. Um, these could be little decorations. They could be uh, symbols for your faction that these guys sport around. They could be banners. 
uh, or a lot of kits have different weapon options that you can choose from. And, you know, you put on the ones that you want and the others are just left sitting on the sprue. Um, these are what we call bits. And what I did when I first started was throw them all in the garbage, which... <laughs> Bad call. Yeah. Bad. Yeah, John's <laughs> chuckle will tell you that's sacrilege. <laughs> And, and one of the, the most basic reasons for that is that eventually you will probably be buy more kits of similar dudes that you may want to use some of those bits on. Yeah. Another reason to keep them is uh, to trade with other people that play. Maybe you're looking for some bits that someone else has that they you have stuff they need and you can trade. Or what I have found the most useful part of saving all my bits is kit bashing. Um, it's more of an advanced thing, but as you kind of get used to building stuff, sometimes you're going to want to branch out and build past the instructions, get creative with it, make some weird stuff with it. It's easier to do that when you've got little plastic bits from a, a whole bunch of different kits that you can slap together to make stuff, especially if you're playing something like orcs, where you can take anything from any other faction and kind of slap them together. Yeah, we're much and, like Pirates of the Caribbean, the build guidelines for orcs are just guidelines, like... Yeah, like I made a I made a uh, orc big mech once where I took a Tau crisis battle suit and I put a bunch of orky bits on it and an orc head, like he had taken over the suit, like ripped the helmet <laughs> off and sat inside of it, and uh, then I just slapped a bunch of like Necron Tau space marine and orc guns all over it, so that it's just got full of Daka, and then I took some of those um. One of the exhaust pipes from a rhino and just slap them on the back because, of course, an orc would. <laughs> if it doesn't have an exhaust, it can't go, John. That's science, yeah. obviously. And I painted it red so it could be super fast. Like, it was great. Yeah, and uh, that's a lot. Like, that's something you could do if you have all your bits ready to go. Uh, whereas if you throw them in the garbage, like I did for quite a while, uh, you are literally throwing away money that you could keep. So, uh, everybody kind of does this a little differently. What I like to do with my bits now is when I get done building whatever I want to build, um, I've got it all put together and everything left on the sprue. I have, uh, it looks like a little toolbox, but really it's like a screw organizer for like screws and nuts and bolts with, uh, it's probably got like 15 to 20 little, uh, containers inside of it. Kind of like a tackle box does. And I just take that sprue and clip the bits into those little containers. You can separate them by faction or like different type of bits or however works for you. Um, but just clip them on in there. Uh, worst happens, they sit in there and you don't use them for a long time and you end up giving them to somebody. But um, because of doing that, I've been able to help a few buds out with, you know, bits. Instead of uh, one of my friends plays White Scars. And uh, for White Scars, you want a bunch of like pelts and furs and uh little runic fetishes and i happen to have a bunch of space wolf bits that instead of him having to go spend you know 40 or 50 dollars on a bit site i could just do a friend a solid and give him a whole bunch of leftovers uh so i would highly recommend everybody just taking a little bit of time to do that um if it's a if you really do like stick it to the hobby and you get into kit bashing, like John recommended, you'll thank yourself for it. Uh, also, another thing you can do with those bits, and this is advanced, so do not feel like you have to do these on your first models. I damn well didn't. 
John, I'm not sure if you're even doing it now, but magnetizing is an option for people. It's something I definitely suggest everyone try later. Uh, it's it's definitely useful, especially when you start buying vehicles or with certain factions like Tau. Um, it is an advanced concept that will take some time to learn. It will take more money. It will take more investment. At the end of the day, it ends up being very useful and very good. And I find it almost mandatory for some factions. It's pretty, it's yeah. pretty great. So the, the basic idea of magnetizing is that for many models, like I mentioned, you're going to have different weapon options, for example, or maybe different head options or backpack options or what have you. But you might look at both options and go, man, those are cool. Like, I like both of these options. I want both of those options on this model. Well, what you can do is if you're kind of, you've been hobbying for a little while, uh, you could get tiny magnets and drill a little hole into, like, let's say you it's a gun. Like, you like two different gun options for a model. You can drill a little hole into the gun and put a tiny magnet in there. And then drill a tiny hole into the fore, into the, like the the wrist of your model, and put a little magnet in there, and then you can just hold them together, and they will click together, and the magnets will hold it, and then you can grab that second gun that you liked, put a little magnet in there, and now you can quick swap between those guns. Um, this is another way to to kind of get more bang for your buck when you're doing the hobby, because uh, I have been able to save a lot of money in magnetizing. Uh, for example, John, the uh, the Beast Claw Raiders that uh, you're buying from me. Um, using some, some clever magnet usage, I managed to make every single option for that model kit out of a single model and a bunch of magnets. So instead of having to buy like four $70 kits, Instead, only one kit with just some magnets. So, and you even just had to get the star collecting box. Like you took the star collecting box and did it with that. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a great way to to save yourself a little money. But you know, I would say wait on trying it until you kind of understand the the building process. Um, otherwise, you might end up a little over your head and. You don't want that, especially once you're kind, you're just starting to get into a new hobby. You don't want to kind of rain on your own parade a little too early. All right. So at this point, you should have at least the stuff that you want to try in your first grouping built. So what do you do from that point, John? Well, if you've built all, uh, a bunch of your models, uh, logically the next step is to prime them. Um, and so this is the first step in painting. And what you do when you prime is you take a rattle can of a specific color that you want to prime. A lot of people use white or black um, or the color, like the main color of their armor. And you shake it real good, take it outside where there's plenty of ventilation, and you want to like spray from about like a couple inches away. Uh, so I would say like a foot or two away. Both. Yeah, like yeah, like between 8 to, to 12 inches away. And you want to lightly spray the model until it's got coverage but you don't want it to be too thick because it'll take over all the details but you don't want it to like uh popcorn is, is the way that i can kind of describe it you don't want to have a weird texture on it either. yeah that's no good so you want to find that find that nice middle ground and then you want to take that inside to dry yeah so um 
Priming is just gonna give you something for your your later paint to to kind of cling to. And like John mentioned, if if you're playing something that has like mostly one color, priming it in that color also helps you with some of your base coats. Um, but in terms of priming, I think much like with tools, it's worth mentioning how much do you really have to spend on primer? Because there are some expensive miniature only primers, and uh, they will try to convince you that you have to have these specific primers. And uh, I will just say, in my experience, that's not the case. Uh, much like with clippers and with glue, you could get away with spending less as long as you get a good quality primer. Even if you go to like Lowe's, some of that stuff works great. I've got behind me in the closet uh, probably four or five different color cans of primer that I got at the hardware store rather than like the really expensive Games Workshop brand. And it, it works. Uh, like John said, stay about a foot away and shake it really, really well before you use it. I mean, absolutely beat the tar out of it. Otherwise, you could end up with with some priming oopsies, which Lord knows I have had. And uh, it's a it just kind of gets you off on the right foot. Although, note for priming, you kind of got to watch out depending on what time of the year it is and uh, where you're at. So, uh, John, you could probably speak to the humidity better than I can, but I, of course, as you probably guessed from the podcast, we live here in uh, Kentucky and I'm up northern Kentucky, but it could get pretty cold here in the winter. I mean, like negative 15 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, oh, yeah. with wind chill, it can get a little even worse than that. And during that time, it can affect your primer. So if you're going to prime when it's super, super cold, just like before, shake it well. Step outside with your minis, spray them, and then bring them on in. Do not let them dry out in the cold. If you bring them inside, it'll be fine, but don't leave them there. Yeah, you're going to want to be real careful with it. And... Uh... Just to step back for a second to, with your point on cheap primers, um, Joe's right, but uh, I've, in my experience, some newer folks have a hard time finding what's the right primer. Because you can absolutely buy the wrong primer. Mm -hmm. If you try to buy like a metallic primer from a hardware store, it's not going to work. Try to uh, get something that's supposed to be used for like wood, it's not going to work. Um, so if you get really confused or if you get really like just caught up in just how many options are at a hardware store when it comes to rattle can paint, you can just go to your game store and pick up something like Armory Painter, which is generally cheaper than GW, for a pretty decent price that will still work, and you don't got to worry about accidentally buying the wrong thing until you know, unless you know somebody who might be able to help you with that, or, or if you want to uh, do some of your own research. Or, like, Google is your friend. Um, yes, that too. There are forums all over of people who have tried just about every primer under God, on God's green earth. And uh, they will tell you with gusto how well it went or how badly it went. Uh, it could save you a little bit of effort. Yeah. And then as for like the humidity and like, uh, like temperature problems with priming, a lot of it can just be handled in the sense of how comfortable are you be outside like can you just wear like normal clothes outside and not start sweating or not start being cold 
well then you're probably fine to prime and don't gotta be too careful but the more humid it gets it's going to not dry uh evenly at all like it like on the model it'll stay wet it through the air and then when it's on the model not dry uh, so you need to take it inside so that it will actually dry don't leave like a batch of 20 dudes out there while you spray them one at a time um to, to do like do like five or ten at a time bring them inside and then as for uh dryness through the winter you want to spray and closer sometimes because it will dry and freeze in the air yeah. before it hits your model especially if you live it. in like the north where it gets really really cold uh it might just co coagulate before it ever touches your model yeah, um, I do suggest not spraying inside, uh, especially if you don't have some sort of ventilation, like like significant ventilation or like a face mask. Uh, you can absolutely uh, hurt yourself. You can give yourself fumes. You don't want to do that. Uh, you want to be very careful. But once you've got it inside and primed and dried, you can start painting. Yeah. Uh, and painting is similarly to building. As simple or as complex as you want it to be. Ooh, yeah, wide, wide scope here. I'd say almost an even wider scope than building in some cases. Yes, uh, I would suggest that you start with a couple of brushes. I'm sure, Joe, you've got a couple of suggestions for brush brushes, mm -hmm. uh, like the different types. Yeah. Uh, a plastic cup of water and a paper towel and like a little like piece of... Uh, thick cardboard paper to have some paint on as used as a palette or a piece of like wood or or plastic or something like or uh, like a little tile maybe or if you spring forward a palette like a little plastic palette from an art store um but brush choice is key here and joe you go ahead and say your tip that you actually gave me not too long ago yeah so um when you when you get into brushes kind of like with uh with building there's going to be a whole lot of real expensive brushes out there that are going to be seem real tempting to you as a beginner. Because at least when I hopped in, I thought that like, oh, bet like expensive brushes means make do more better paint, right? And um, <laughs> let me go ahead and tell you, not the case. Not the case. If anything, those like real expensive brushes that are made out of like real sable fur and these like small artisanal batches... Uh, they're also really, really <laughs> fragile. And as a new person, you're going to wreck them. So yeah, you'll, you'll destroy your first brushes like within like a month. Oh God. Yeah. It's a disaster <laughs> zone. So I would actually caution you away from that. I would recommend buying some cheaper brushes that you won't feel bad if you accidentally beat the crap out of them. Uh, so for me, I just went to the local hobby store, uh, around here, uh, the, it's called Michael's. I'm sure... There's stuff like this all over, um, but they're just a general arts and craft store. And uh, I got myself just a small handful of brushes. So I got one of those uh, combo packs that comes with like six different size brushes for like kids doing a little acrylic paint stuff, which well, they're going to cover a lot of your bases. They're going to be a lot of like uh, wide, flat-tipped brushes, which are great for putting on a whole lot of paint really quickly. Um, and then it's also going to have probably a couple of like piddly, dinky, uh, circular brushes in there for tiny details, which is great. And uh, those are enough to get you started, to be honest. 
uh, it's a combo pack and like, yeah, it's not, it's not super duper impressive. However, it will get pain on the model and it'll kind of get your brain working on like, oh, here's what I like about this. Here's what I don't like about this. Man, I wish I had a brush that's kind of shaped like this and that you could go to the store and they also sell singular brushes of very specific shapes and sizes. And then you could supplement your like little beginner kit, however you want, with brushes that are like two or three bucks a piece. So you're not gonna break the bank. But here's my big pro tip, which I can't claim it's mine. Like there's a bunch of people who do this, but you know what? I'm a podcaster now, I get to claim things. Um, they don't, know that. There's going to be stuff at the hobby store <laughs> called a dry brush. And this is a, a specific technique that I won't spend like too much time here. But essentially, you use it to to get some paint on that brush, to get most of the paint off on a paper towel, and then you kind of flick that mostly dry brush across the model, and it'll just put paint on some of the raised edges. And there are some dry brushes that are being sold at like actual miniature gaming stores that are like Citadel brand or whatever brand that are kind of labeled as a specific miniature dry brush, so to say, I would caution you away from that, at least at first. Um, generally, they're a little expensive as anything that is like branded and specific towards this hobby is. Uh, what you're going to do instead is go down to your big box store, whatever that is, whether that's like Walmart or Target or Tesco or wherever, and go to the makeup section where all the uh, all the makeup is and then head to the makeup brushes and you're going to want to look for the cheapest contour brush that you can find it doesn't have to be great quality doesn't have to be expensive you're probably going to spend like three bucks on it and it's like it's meant to be really light and fluffy uh, so that it could apply the makeup over the contours of someone's face and those those traits are perfect for a dry brush. And you can just put some paint on that puppy. Same thing. Wipe most of it off on a paper towel. And then hit your model with it. And blam. Paint everywhere. It, it was like I did witchcraft in front of John the first time I had him do it. Yeah, I was very surprised. It, it's also one of the reasons why I love it as a tip. Is that uh, I go through dry brushes pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you'll tear them up. Because you're, you're hitting raised edges. You're going real fast. You're... Like messing with them in the paper towel, like it's you're not being delicate at all with them. It's kind of the point is to be rough with them. If you go for expensive dry brushes, you're gonna burn through it really quick. You're gonna need to replace it. All the bristles are gonna get bent and pulled out of it and messed up, and you're you're gonna just need a new one because you're by nature of what you're doing being rough with them. So, getting a cheaper brush that still does the job saves you a lot of money down the road. Oh yeah, uh, I've spent less money on dry brushes buying these cheap makeup ones than I have buying like branded GW ones. So yeah, for sure. And also that's something you can kind of mitigate by, uh, also while you're out there kind of getting your stuff, this isn't something you have to have, but it's something I would recommend. Cause like John said, you, man, you are going to beat up your brushes as a new hobbyist doing this. I mean, you're, you aren't going to know the etiquette, of how like how far up the brush to let the paint go, you aren't going to be super fastidious about uh, cleaning it necessarily in between paint colors. You're probably gonna 
let it sit with some paint on it, and like you're just going to destroy them. However, you can save yourself a lot of money for just a tiny bit of effort by going to your hobby store, the aforementioned hobby store where you were getting your brushes and stuff, and buying a bottle of pink soap. That's literally just called pink soap. It's a brush soap that's not expensive at all, but it's made specifically to kind of condition and clean the bristles of paint brushes that have acrylic paint in them all over. So that when you're done uh, painting for whatever your paint, like you sat down for an evening to do your painting and you know, you paint for a few hours or however long you got. And at the end, just take all the brushes that were used during that paint session, take them to your sink, put a little bit of that uh, pink soap in the palm of your hand, start swishing the brushes around in there while you're getting them wet. And you could get a lot of that paint out and stretch out the kind of the lifetime of your brushes. Now, eventually, even with you doing this, they're going to just kind of go bad on you. But hey, that's that's more time you got out of it. And uh, it saves you even more money, which at least when I first got into the hobby was, you know, much appreciated. Yeah, I, I can't really add anything else to that. I think we've covered a lot of the the basics for painting. We can't really show you painting techniques uh, on an audio podcast. We can give a couple of suggestions for uh, like people to go watch or, or listen to. Um, that's about it. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of Duncan Rhodes. He has a, a new channel that he yeah. made this year. Uh, Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. He's a champion. He goes really in-depth, I will warn you, but uh, I just like watching it. I, I enjoy watching painting videos while I'm painting. It kind of gives me inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, but Joe, do you have anybody that you kind of turn to when you really are trying to learn a technique? Or you just... Oh, like, God. Really God, I've got so many. I've got a ton. Um, I know, that's why That's why I asked you. <laughs> wow, nice transition. Real pro-podcast <laughs> move. Um yeah, so I've actually got a couple of these. Um, I, I think I've mentioned it on an earlier podcast, but mention it here again. Uh, I never got into art before I did this hobby. Like, I I had the mandatory art classes in school, which I whined and complained about having to take because it wasn't my AP classes. And uh, I did oh. not know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know how to do any of this. Like, I... I didn't even know the basics of painting and I learned entirely through YouTube and largely because it is a booming ecosystem of really informative and knowledgeable folks who on video could show you different isolated techniques on how to do whatever it is you're trying to do. Uh, I mean, you could really kind of go to YouTube and type in anything and it'll pop up. So let's say you're trying to paint zombies. You can literally type in like painting zombie miniatures and I'm betting stuff will pop up or like how to paint rotten flesh. It'll pop up. Uh, But in terms of sort of like, there are different creators who I really enjoy who make quality content across the board that like you could not go wrong with looking for their channel. So first I would recommend is uh, Tabletop Minions. Uh, he does a lot of really interesting content about uh, like specific techniques that are beginner friendly. And I think it's not very intimidating and it's easy to understand. Uh, he's just a nice man. He's just a nice yeah, soft he's man. a super nice dude. I was actually at Gen Con a couple years back and I saw him across the uh, 
the vendor hall with his like cool little fez on and i wanted to say hi but i was stuck demoing a game so if you're out there nice to almost meet you <laughs> um <laughs> moving on from there uh hobby cheating with vince ventrella uh vince is a little paint wizard uh, his videos uh, are called Hobby Cheating, which is, of course, a fun little play on words. But it is about 20 to 30 minute videos on very particular techniques. Like, do you want to know how to paint uh, tattoos on, like, orc flesh? There's a video for that. Do you want to know how to paint Skaven in, like, a speedrun fashion? There's a video for that. Do you want to know how to, like, blend power armor with a specific uh, type of paint? There's a video for that. And uh, he's just got a cornucopia of stuff that you could go look through for painting your own forces. Uh, next is one that I know John also loves is Miniature Maniac. Uh, oh, yes. Yes. Uh, he oh. is incredible. He's a competitive painter who is also a, an, an incredible YouTuber who makes content that is understandable, but is also like super digestible and catchy with great production quality. Uh, so I think... That's one so very that's great for new people because you could be kind of entertained, you know. It's not like you're in a in a classroom. And um, similar it, to him is uh, Squidmar Miniatures. Emil uh, is also an, an incredible painter who tries to break down these high end techniques to to stuff that's understandable for like the average Joe. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> I see what you did there. That was a good joke. Rather clever. Um, <laughs> But, like, you can go to any of those channels, and I am sure you will find a ton of information on how to do, like, the particulars of painting that we can't teach you here. Uh, but what I think is important for us to impart instead is the mindset that you should probably have when you are first starting, so that way you can allow yourself to have fun doing this. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, it, that's... It's probably the most important thing that we're going to talk about in this episode. Yeah. Um, like building, painting, all of that's important. You're, you're going to figure out either that on your own or you're going to look it up or you're going to listen to us, whatever. Mindset is something that is not taught to people who first get into this hobby. It's something that's not really discussed. It's normally a much more personal topic. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk to you about a couple of things that we do. Um, but I think that it's best to start off with go into this remembering this is not like other hobbies. Yeah. This is not going to be like video games. This is not going to be like, uh, I don't know, uh, name a golfing. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you golf. Um, this is a thing where part of the work is the hobby and the enjoyment. Mm -hmm. The sense of completion, learning, kind of progressing, starting off probably kind of bad at it, and then getting better. Um, playing is not the object for the most of the hobby. Most of your time and energy is going to be spent in building and painting the miniatures and then putting them on the table and seeing your work go against someone else's work. Um, and so trying to go into this with a mindset of taking your time, being patient with yourself, being patient with what you're doing, and just trying your best and not comparing yourself to everyone else's models will probably be the best way of going about it. Uh, yeah, um, for sure. I think um, I think a lot of people when they get into this, and at least I was guilty of it also, was uh, like I would I would see all these incredible miniatures and these YouTube videos and like Instagram posts, and they were gorgeous. 
by these people who had been, you know, painting forever. And I, you can't help but think, like, why am I even doing this? If they're so good, I'm just trash. And uh, that is a... Like, that is the worst mindset you could have as a new person who's done this. Like, you've got to be kind to yourself when you're first getting into this. You are brand new. You know, especially if you've never done art before, of you're going to start lower on this bell curve. And that's okay. That's totally okay. You're trying, and, you know, that endeavor is really all that matters. So, at least for me, what kind of helped is... In front of me here on the desk, I'm, I'm looking at it as I'm recording this. I still have the first miniature that I ever painted. Like, the first one I ever tried to go hard on. It's a little halfling D&D &D mini that, if, <laughs> if I'm being honest, looks absolutely atrocious. But at the time, this was the best I could produce. And I never painted over it, and I probably never will. And I'm going to keep it just how it is forever. Uh, because it is really, really enjoyable at every time I finish a model to put it next to this little halfling and to give myself some credit that, like, I'm not Emil from Squidmar Miniatures. I'm not Vince Ventrilla from Hobby Cheating. I'm not taking Golden Demons or anything like that winning tournaments. But the stuff I'm painting now is miles, light years, I dare say, ahead of this little halfling. And I think... You know, that's something that folks out there should do too. If your first model, if you get done painting it and look at it and go, woof, keep it that way. Don't touch it. Don't prime over it. Don't repaint it for posterity. Keep it just how it is. And every time you go to one of these videos and you learn a new technique and you implement it, compare back. And I'm willing to bet you're probably going to have gotten better than when you started. Yeah, and the big thing is don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, oh, yeah. It's okay, it's okay to just have models that look good from, like, five feet away. Oh, yeah. Like, they don't they don't have to hold up to scrutiny. It's perfectly fine. Most of the time you're playing the game, you're not going to be looking at it super close anyways. And another trick is to remember that the models can be stripped later if you mess up, like, say, 10 dudes. Oh, yeah. They can they can be stripped and you can redo it. Or even better, maybe you just kind of throw down some basic colors on it at first. You don't really touch on the details too much. You kind of leave it bare. Well, like, you can come back to it. Like, you never... Like, when a model... When you, when you put a model down, you can pick it back up and paint it again. Uh, you can go back and dry brush. You can go do some highlights. You can add different effects later. Layers of, of things on You can do that later to kind of bring it up if you aren't happy with the way it looks after you've learned some more techniques. Mm -hmm. You can do stuff like that. Um, I do agree with Joe that you keep your first model, though, and uh, use it as a comparison, because it's always good to see how far you've grown. Uh, that's a good part of this, is knowing how... Knowing that you've made progress on something that at the beginning you probably went, I'm terrible, <laughs> I'm the worst at this, why do I care? <laughs> But then, like, two years later, you look back and you compare, like, your model to that model, and it looks better most of the time. Um, and you go, wow, I actually improved. And it's it's very good good feeling. Oh, yeah. It is, um, a, it is a straight hit of serotonin. It's lovely. And as much as, like, I say that, I'm also going to, I'm sure Joe's going to agree with this next thing I talk about. The people that you play the game with in your local community, uh, or maybe the friends that are getting into this with you, Try to keep 
like hyped up for each other's products. Oh God, yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Sh- share, yeah, share each other's models. Kind of, even if you look at somebody's model and you're like, "Man, I've seen better on Instagram." Don't say that. Yeah, that's uh, a shitty thing better, to say. Like, yeah, if it looks better than like stuff they've done in the past, tell them like, "Hey, man, you're improving. That looks great." Because it is. Yeah, I mean, um, here I'll put it this way: I have never seen a model that has that is so apocalyptically bad that i can't find something nice to say about it before i give yeah. some like kind constructive criticism i get to see one. yeah like doing this for a couple of years bunch of facebook groups even painting facebook groups i've i've never seen one that i couldn't find something to try to like hype the other person up for even if that thing is all you could say is man like what you were telling me about this model you, you like you were smiling the whole time. Like you had a whole bunch of fun painting this, and it shows. But like maybe like try X, Y, and Z next time. And that sort of group push is it pivotal in yeah. kind of keeping the hobby rolling forward and to learn together. Uh, this is one of those moments where a rising tide lifts all the ships. You know, if you learned a technique that helped your one of your miniatures kind of like break through whatever your plateau was of skill, share it. Help other people do the same thing if they're interested in it. And they'll probably do the same for you eventually in the future. And it's it's a great way to make friends. Uh, at the end of the game day, these games are social games if you plan on playing them. And so if the people that you're playing the game with are also the people you paint miniatures with or share miniatures with and you're a jerk to them, or they're a jerk to you, you're not going to have fun playing the mm-hmm. game. That's just how it is. Um, if you can paint and be hyped with these friends as you're you know, going on this journey of painting these dudes and looking at each other's dudes and going, oh, neat, oh, I really like the way you painted that Necron Warrior and made him <laughs> look like the Terminator. Like, when you guys sit down to play, you'll feel better about it. It becomes this communal experience with these people that you enjoy hanging out with. And it turns into the super cool, fun, like, buds time. And that's great. Like, that's what this hobby is supposed to be. That's what it is for a lot of people. And I'm sure you're going to see lots of stuff online where people are going to nitpick specific models or they're going to nitpick each other or they're going to be mean. Because that exists. That it's, It exists in every community. But they are. But it, And this is a scientific term. Turds. That's yes. turd behavior. Um, don't do that. Like, just yeah. Don't yeah. we're playing with this, little plastic army things. Like, let's let's just try to hype each other up. It doesn't cost anything. Yeah. We can just have fun. Like, it's it's supposed to be a fun hobby. And yeah, there's a lot of other stuff involved. There's competitive scenes, stuff like that. At the end of the day, it's a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. Yeah, you're supposed to share the fun with the people you do the hobby with. It's a fairly small. Group of people. This is not as popular as something as say like I don't know video games. Yeah, this is no like, like Call of Duty football. Warzone. Like it's it's really kind of a niche thing. So we might as well help each other kind of like progress and have a good time doing it. Yeah, and I think that's probably the most important mindset is be nice to other people in the hobby, and don't give up when you think you've done bad. Yep. Uh, just keep going. Like just keep trying it out. Keep progressing yep and you'll you'll have fun like you will have fun i don't know how else to say it uh, it, it is fun to fail in this hobby yeah and well like and take solace like john said you could strip a model so even if you do make the first apocalyptically awful model that i've ever seen that i can't find a single nice thing to say 
I can at least say, at least you can strip it. Like, it, it, everything's fixable. So just yeah. have fun. Have a little bit of time. It won't hurt you. We're all going to have fun here. Although, I feel like, John, there's a, there's a little bit of an elephant in the room that we should probably address before we kind of wrap this painting up. Yeah. So, What's that? John and I, when we started this paint section, you probably have noticed that we said a lot of words like brushes. And it referred to dry brushing with these physical bristled brushes. But for people out there who have actually gone to some of the channels that we mentioned, or maybe did a little bit of Googling, um, they've probably seen a whole bunch of talk about airbrushing in reference to the hobby, rather than necessarily like tutorials on how to just use regular brushes. So I guess the question that most new people ask, and that I myself have asked, is do I really need an airbrush to do this hobby? Well, I mean, no, not at all. Like, uh, I don't own an airbrush. Uh, I do everything by hand. I would like to get one in the future. Um, just eventually will. Um, and there's a lot of people online who swear by them, and they do a lot of good work. Don't get me wrong. There's very useful things to do, that, to do with it. But you absolutely can do all the painting you need without an airbrush. Yep. Yep. I don't suggest them for new people. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of investment. There's a lot of things to know and learn. And it's a little bit more difficult than just using a brush. Um, I genuinely think that you should start with a regular brush. If you absolutely want to start with an airbrush, I'm not going to stop you. Like You go, you do you. <laughs> but know that when you see stuff online about airbrushing this, airbrushing that, it's not bad, but it's probably not something to start with. You don't have to. And definitely don't let it stop you from painting. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm actually someone who... I'm on... Uh, unlike John, I have an airbrush. I actually got two of them. And um, I like them a whole lot. And they're very useful tools in my toolkit. Uh, but I'm really glad I didn't start with an airbrush so I can kind of learn the basics. Because anything you can do with an airbrush, you can also do with a regular brush. It's just going to take you longer. So don't feel like you're necessarily unable to to paint a good looking army with a brush. You totally can. And people do it every single day. It's, it's not mandatory. It's just something that later on down the line, once you feel like you've kind of grasped the basics, if you want to like speed up some of your painting processes, you know, then you can look into maybe getting an airbrush. If that's something that makes sense for you and just kind of speed up your production a little bit. It won't hurt you. And well, it will hurt your wallet, but Oh, different yeah. discussion yeah, for a different time, I guess. They're a couple hundred dollars. <clears throat> uh, um, yeah, I actually just bought a brand new airbrush to replace my two current airbrushes. Uh, over $300 for, like, a super nice airbrush. And that's not including a compressor. So, you know, it hurts a little more than those makeup brushes I was talking about. Just, yeah, just, about. <laughs> just to put it in perspective. Um, it'll save you a little bit of It'll save you a, a little bit of time, but it'll cost you a whole bunch of money. So don't feel like you have to. All right. So we've gone over how building models and what you're going to need. We've gone over, you know, we've had the talk about bits and how you should save them if you can. 
even touched on a little bit of advanced knowledge in building, like kit bashing and magnetizing, which also you can get more information on on those channels we listed earlier or just on YouTube. Uh, we then went into painting, priming your model to protect it, and then actually putting paint down, where to learn how to put that paint down, and how you should kind of be thinking while you're putting the paint on the model. Um, John, is there any other sort of hobby building adjacent knowledge that you think we should throw out there before we wrap this thing up? So, uh, as a final note for me, I think that the most important tip, and probably just said this way earlier, is thin your paints. Oh, yeah. Thin your paints. Like, uh, do not take huge globs of paint off, out of the pot, slap it on the model. Um, you'll cover up all the details. Take a little bit of paint out, with a little bit of water, slap it on a palette of some sort, mix it together, lightly put it on the model. It's going to take multiple coats. That's fine. It will look better. <laughs> you will thank me later. <laughs> um, it's the fundamental basic that everybody builds from. Uh, you will get better at it. That will require less coats. And you'll figure out like your, your method of doing it. Start there. That's the best place. Uh, that's probably my last tip. Uh, I'm not an expert, but I've been doing it for a while. So, Yep. Um, I think uh, for me, my tip would be to not feel like you have to stay within one brand of paints. Um, when I started the hobby, I kind of felt like, oh, like you have to get Citadel paints because like they're the ones who make the models. And uh, not the case. Not the case. There's a number of really, really good uh, paint manufacturers out there who make paints for this hobby. Um, you've got Citadel, of course, but you've also got Vallejo and P3 and Game Air and I'm sure many, many, many others that are out there. Uh, feel free to experiment with them. But you're not locked into any paint range. You're, you're not locked into any particular brand so feel free to like try different paints see what works for you um some people like different paints for different things and that's something that you'll kind of figure out over time but if you're open to new ideas it might help you kind of find something that you like more than what you just sort of started with and stumbled into yeah i think i think that's just about it for this episode what do you think joe think we're done uh, yeah i think so um We've got a couple more episode ideas that we're going to try to uh, record here in the next couple of days so that we can uh, get them processed and uploaded. Uh, we actually do have an upload schedule now that I think is worth mentioning real quickly before we get off here. Um, oh, yeah. <clears throat> so we go live on the YouTube version of this podcast every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Well, we like that schedule. It works for us. We're just going to get everything uploaded so it's real consistent there. And John, when does everything go live on uh, Spotify and the other, specifically, audio platforms? Uh, everything should schedule to release at about 6 a.m. on Monday. There might be like a 10 to 20 minute difference between each service, but generally it should all be around the same time, same release schedule every Monday. Perfect. Yeah, and uh, also now we have the social medias uh, set up and ready to go, and we'll have those links down below. If you guys, uh, you know, for the two viewers who we mentioned earlier who are enjoying this, if you guys are 
having a good time listening to his chat, feel free. Look us up over there on Instagram or Twitter. Um, drop us a line. More than happy to chat with folks about what we're doing here and uh, to give you any more specific advice if you if you find that our more general stakes, uh, our more general takes here on the podcast are are not quite touching on something. More than happy to address your particular thing one-on-one. No issue. Uh, And also, if you have ideas for future episodes that you'd like to hear us talk about, shoot them our way. We'll write them down. I've got a big running list here on my notepad for ideas that we're more than happy to add new ones to this. So that way we could keep this podcast rolling for quite a while. Yeah, we we love talking, and we'll we'll keep talking. <laughs> as is <laughs> as long as you probably why we we founded a podcast. Well, guys, uh, that's all for this episode. But we thank you so much for tuning in to episode six, and we hope you tune in for episode seven here next week. And now, I think that's the end of this episode. So, from us, I've been Joe, and I've been John, and these are all of our opinions. Bona fide Kentucky fried. We'll see y'all next time. See ya.